Welcome to Episode 5 of Conversations on Modern Slavery. Conversations on Modern Slavery explores the complexity of modern slavery across the world, looking at its drivers, its manifestations, and its consequences, featuring discussions about the latest research conducted by Free the Slaves and dialogues with eminent experts and frontline practitioners this podcast seeks to amplify public awareness and galvanize action against modern slavery, providing insights into the root causes, disclosing narratives, and pioneering solutions. Conversations on Modern Slavery is a must-listen for everyone passionate about eradicating slavery. Today, I am joined by my co-host, Dr. Marta Furlon, to discuss her recent report on illegal migration and human trafficking from the Horn of Africa to the Gulf Monarchies. Marta, welcome back to Conversations on Modern Slavery. Hello, Brian. Uh, thank you for the warm welcome. It's a great pleasure to be back here. To start this episode, I think it's important to understand the geography and the context of the region that we're talking about. Can you explain where the Horn of Africa is located and what countries make up the Horn of Africa? Sure. So the Horn of Africa is uh, located on the easternmost part of the African continent. And uh, interestingly, it is also the fourth largest peninsula in the world. In terms of countries, it is composed of uh, Ethiopia, Eritrea, Somalia, and Djibouti. Even though there is a, a broader definition as well that tends to talk about a greater horn that includes also parts of Kenya, Sudan, and South Sudan. However, in this research that the freedom slaves recently did, we are referring exclusively to Ethiopia, Eritrea, Somalia, and Djibouti. And another thing that I believe is interesting to note with respect to this region, it is that it has been connected for centuries with the Middle East and the Arab Gulf and South Asia. In fact, as early as the 12th century, the Horn was connected to these regions that I just mentioned by trade networks. And as it often happens, over time, those trade routes became migratory routes as well, with peoples and goods moving across the Arabian Sea and the Red Sea. And these are some of the movements that we are still observing today. Excellent. So then what conditions in these countries are driving migration? Yes, well, that's a, a great question. Um, we can say that the main driver why uh, East African people try to reach the Arabian Peninsula is uh, economic need. Coming from countries in which decades of conflict and political instability have negatively affected economic wealth and development rates, the rich monarchies in the Arabian Gulf seem to offer opportunities for a dignified life that do not exist back home. So by reaching Yemen, which is in the southwestern tip of the Arabian Peninsula and moving then onwards to reach Gulf monarchies such as Saudi Arabia, Qatar and Kuwait, East African migrants hope to find job opportunities that will allow them both to make a living for themselves, but also ideally to send remittances back home, which is also one of the reasons why at times these uh, migratory decisions are taken at the family levels with family members getting together, collecting the money to finance the migratory journey of one of their usually uh, youngest members. However, economic reasons are not the only uh, factor driving East African migrants towards Yemen and the, the Gulf monarchies. Other factors include climate change, climate-related natural hazards, 
violence and conflict, specifically conflict against certain ethnic groups. According to the latest data released by the International Organization for Migration for the period January to June 2023, 3 million people throughout the Horn of Africa were displaced by droughts. If you look at Ethiopia alone, 27% of migrants who left the country came from areas affected by drought. But as we were saying, it is also about uh, ethnic violence, conflicts, and political instability. So in Ethiopia, for instance, this dramatic combination of ethnic violence, repeated droughts has had an adverse impact on the livelihoods of many, pushing a higher number of Ethiopians to seek opportunities elsewhere. And the same is true in Somalia. Somalia, the ongoing civil war between the government and the armed group Al-Shabaab, but also climatic events such as droughts and flood have driven increasing numbers of people to embark on migratory journeys. And finally, another factor that I want to mention that is uh, important to understand the migration from the Horn of Africa, and that is also connected to the climate emergency that we were mentioning before, is food and water insecurity, which has been especially affecting rural populations. Now that we've kind of talked about what, what drives people to migrate, the report highlights that the majority of people intend to migrate toward the Gulf monarchies. Can you explain more about this region, what the route looks like, and some of the challenges that people face along the way. So when it comes to the Gulf monarchies that are the intended destinations, as you, as you were rightly saying, for most East African migrants, the reason is that in the past uh, decades, there has been an oil-driven economic growth in uh, Gulf monarchies such as Qatar, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia. So these uh, countries have become an attractive destination for cheap and unskilled laborers coming from uh, East Africa. Now, to reach the wealthy Gulf monarchies, East African migrants typically pass through Yemen. Yemen is uh, located in the southwestern tip of the Arabian Peninsula across the Gulf of Aden. So for people coming from Ethiopia, Somalia, Djibouti, it is the entry point into uh, the peninsula. However, uh, migrants from the Horn of Africa typically uh, embark on irregular, illegal migratory journeys. So they tend to rely on smugglers to make their journey towards the Arabian Peninsula. This is due by the lack of legal options to make the journey. It is also due to the bureaucratic requirements and difficulties that are associated to the few regular options for migration that are available. So as I was saying, most migrants tend to rely on smugglers to cross into Yemen and from Yemen make their way towards Saudi Arabia, Kuwait and Qatar. This reliance on smugglers clearly expose migrants to a series of vulnerabilities and especially to the risk of human trafficking, which is what we are exploring in this research. In fact, migrants are already some of the most vulnerable members of society because of their migratory status. When it comes to illegal migrants, this vulnerability is heightened. They are twice as vulnerable because they are both migrants, but are also finding themselves in an illegal situation which exposes them to a series of uh, exploitation. And this is in fact something that we are observing throughout the report. And we see that this exploitation takes place along uh, different stages of the journey from the Horn of Africa to the Gulf monarchies. We have forms of exploitation taking place in Djibouti and Somalia, that are the countries that Eastern African migrants cross in order to reach Yemen. And then we have forms of exploitation while they transit through Yemen. Thank you so much for that 
summary of the Gulf monarchies and the route uh, that people are taking to reach these destinations. Can you tell us a little bit about where human trafficking enters into the picture and the different types of exploitation that are experienced by migrants as they undertake this journey? Yes, thank you so much for this very important question, Brian. So unfortunately, human trafficking enters into the picture throughout the entire migratory journey. As uh, I was mentioning before, most uh, East African migrants cross the Gulf of Aden into Yemen, starting from Djibouti and Somalia, which are the main transit points because of their position. Some of the most common forms of trafficking that are observed in Djibouti city, in Obok, which is a coastal town uh, in Djibouti, and Bosazo, that is a coastal town in Somalia where most East African migrants uh, pass through, are sex trafficking and forced labor, specifically domestic servitude, forced begging, and peddling. Migrant men are also victims of hazardous forced labor in construction sites, in manual jobs in the port of Djibouti, and in other informal sectors of the local economy. When it comes to girls and women, they are especially vulnerable to commercial sexual exploitation. In Djibouti, they are predominantly exploited in bars, in hotels, in nightclubs that are frequented both by Djibouti nationals, but also by foreigners that work in the shipping industry, in foreign military bases, and in transportation. Migrant children from Somalia and Ethiopia, for their part, are most commonly exploited in the worst forms of child labor, including forced street begging. Besides, migrant children are exploited in agriculture, construction, commercial sex, and domestic work. When uh, they cross the Gulf of Aden and they reach Yemen, exploitation again is the reality that they are facing. In fact, once they reach the shores of Yemen, migrants are met and captured by traffickers who pay a fee to smugglers to buy these migrants de facto and later exploit them for their own economic return. Now, this is very interesting because it reveals the extent to which migrant smugglers and human traffickers coordinate with each other and sheds light on the dynamics whereby migrant smuggling can rapidly turn into human trafficking. Once Yemen's traffickers get their hands on East African migrants that are alone, scared, vulnerable, and fatigued by the journey behind, let's think that they've just crossed the Gulf of Aden in very packed uh, boats, making the journey mostly with the cover of the night, they bring them into, um, into compounds that are controlled by the traffickers. And in these compounds, migrants are forced to call back home in Somalia or Ethiopia and ask their families for ransom payments. While they are waiting for the payment to arrive and for families that invested a lot of their money in supporting the migratory journey of a family member, this can take months because they might need to ask support of neighbors or friends. They might even need to sell belongings such as land and cattle. So during this period of time throughout which migrants are waiting for the ransom to be paid by their families back home, they are exploited in forced labor, as domestic workers, in construction sites, in cut plantation and imports. In many of these instances, traffickers collect the migrants' wages, subjecting them to debt bondage. Migrants are also forced into criminality that includes in Yemen transporting weapons and drugs throughout the countries. Women are exploited in sex trafficking and in sexual slavery with wealthy Yemeni men as the clients. Also, physical violence is commonly reported among East African migrants that are captured by traffickers in Yemen and is often used to urge families back home to rapidly send their payment. 
A final point that I want to make here, because I find it uh, very interesting, is that migrants uh, reported that Yemeni smuggling and trafficking groups always included Ethiopians, who were responsible for beating and torturing migrants, extort payments, and manage communications with the families back home. So this shows uh, that traffickers have evolved into well-organized and highly efficient inter-regional networks, whereby Yemeni traffickers employ Ethiopian interpreters and intermediaries to run their operations more effectively. I lost you with the... So, Marta, we've talked about the different types of trafficking and forced labor that happen all along the route, from Somalia and Djibouti to Yemen. But what happens to migrant workers when they actually reach their destination in the Gulf countries? Can you describe the working and living conditions for those people who do reach their destination? So those who manage to escape uh, Yemen's traffickers eventually make their way north, where there is a Saudi-Yemeni border, and there they attempt to cross into Saudi Arabia. Here, a new ordeal begins for them. In fact, Saudi border guards have been systematically shooting and killing East African migrants who try to cross the border illegally into the kingdom. According to the available figures re released recently this um, year, Saudi border guards have killed at least hundreds of East African migrants, mostly Ethiopians, who tried to enter the kingdom between March 2022 and June 2023. Now, for those who crossed the border undetected by Saudi border guards, prospects are not as positive as it might have seemed from back home. In fact, their status as illegal migrants condemns them to a situation of vulnerability, in which they are forced to accept any job available, no matter what the conditions are. Most men find themselves working as laborers in construction sites in which they are not given protective gear, they earn a below minimum wage, they engage in hazardous tasks, and they are denied the protection that the contract affords. Moreover, they are forced to work very long hours, up to 60, 70 hours per week. For their part, most women end up working as domestic servants, where they are often underpaid or even unpaid, and they are forced to work on average 115 hours per week. In many cases, moreover, employers subject migrant domestic workers to verbal and physical abuses. They withhold their documents in case they have any. And they threaten of reporting them to the police, which will imprison and deport them. Moreover, when migrants enter the kingdom with the help of smugglers across the Yemeni-Saudi border, the smugglers often make arrangements with Saudi employers to receive the salaries of migrants directly. And this is especially observed in the domestic work sector. In the case of children, children that cross the border illegally are exposed to the risk of exploitation in forced backing, into which they are recruited by traffickers that run organized backing rings. This form of exploitation is observed throughout the year. However, it is uh, interesting to note that it becomes especially prevalent during the holy month of Ramadan and the Muslim pilgrimage of uh, Hajj and Umrah when great numbers of people visit the kingdom from abroad. And the risk of children falling victims of forced backing is especially acute when they enter Saudi Arabia unaccompanied. So, Martyr, it sounds like the entire journey is full of opportunities for people to be exploited, trafficked, enslaved. And I know what you mentioned earlier was that the the root of a lot of this is political instability and 
economic challenges in their home countries. But all along the way, they're passing through other countries as well. Can you describe the capacity of countries along the route to address human trafficking? So as you were rightly mentioning, political instability is one of the reasons why East African people make this illegal journey towards the Gulf monarchies. Now, the patterns of the exploitation that we were discussing before throughout the journey, starting from Djibouti and Somalia onwards to Yemen and then Saudi Arabia, are facilitated by the weakness of governments. If we look at Somalia and Djibouti, Somalia is one of the most corrupted countries worldwide. Government officers lack professionalism, training and resources, and the state's law enforcement capacity is very much limited. This is unsurprising if we consider that large parts of central and southern Somalia are de facto controlled by al-Shabaab, the Sunni jihadist armed groups, and they are not controlled by the government. In Djibouti as well, corruption is the widespread, with the secret police and security forces believed to be directly involved in human trafficking crimes in order to increase their income. In addition to that, a lack of resources and know-how also hinders the country's capacity to adequately address human trafficking. Now, looking uh, at Yemen, Yemen is a country that has been uh, in a situation of civil war for eight years. So there is a, a governance vacuum of which traffickers and smugglers, of course, take advantage. As we were seeing before, when East African migrants reach the shores of Yemen, they are met, weighted by traffickers that buy them from smugglers. Once Yemen's traffickers get their hands on migrants, they load them into trucks and they drive them to compounds that are often in isolated remote areas on the outskirts of villages. As state authorities in Yemen are absent and corruption is their right because of the eight uh, years long civil war, trucks filled with migrants often make their way through military checkpoints where a bribe is enough for the troop to proceed undisturbed. And these military checkpoints, they might be controlled by armed groups, militias, or um, the army associated with the legitimate government. This illustrates, interestingly, that the collapse of the government in Yemen has encouraged illegal migration and human trafficking in multiple ways. On the one hand, it has encouraged migrants from East Africa to embark on the illegal journey because they believe or they hope that no state authority will be able to halt their movement in Yemen. On the other hand, however, it has encouraged traffickers to expand their criminal enterprise as they know that the enforcement of law and order is absent and that money can easily buy the authorities' collusion. Now, moving to uh, Saudi Arabia. The Saudi government also faces a series of limitations when it comes to its capacity to address human trafficking within uh, the Saudi borders. The Saudi government, in fact, doesn't consistently screen vulnerable population for trafficking indicators. And by vulnerable populations, I mean, for instance, illegal migrants that are arrested for violating the country's migration rules. The many trafficking crimes affecting illegal migrants in the kingdom go unreported and unaddressed. Moreover, the Saudi government's failure to adequately prosecute trafficking crimes and seek appropriate penalties for convicted traffickers certainly doesn't act as a deterrent. So, Marta, all of this information that you've presented paints a pretty bleak picture about uh, the situation that migrants face as they move from the Horn of Africa to the Gulf Monarchies. What can be done within these countries and internationally 
to address this issue? Yes, so as you were saying, it is a discouraging picture indeed. However, I believe that there are some measures that the countries could implement to deal with this uh, phenomenon and address it adequately. So when it comes to countries of origin in the Horn of Africa, most prominently Ethiopia, but also Somalia, the most appropriate steps will be one, address the climate crisis promptly and adequately designing interventions aimed at strengthening the climate resilience of local communities and enhancing access to alternative and sustainable livelihood opportunities. Also, uh, the governments could and should invest more resources in development initiatives to encourage and sustain economic growth, create more job opportunities for young populations and ultimately increase living standards. Thirdly, the government should increase expenditure on the health, for instance, affordable and equitable healthcare systems, education with free primary and secondary schooling and rural development, devoting to these sectors a greater percentage of the total annual expenditure than is currently being done. Also, they should devote diplomatic and political efforts to addressing those persistent situations of conflict that, as we were pointing out before, are some of the reasons why people embark on these illegal migratory journeys. So greater security at the national level will also attract more foreign investments, encourage economic activities, and facilitate sustainable development strategies. In Ethiopia, for instance, the government should use the peace agreement recently reached with the TPLF as an opportunity to engage local communities, strengthen civil society, and renegotiate the distribution of power between the center and ethnically defined regions. Finally, uh, governments in uh, countries of origin should offer more and better, by better I mean safer and more straightforward channels for regular migration. Specifically, they should lift bans, if any, on overseas migration. They should establish regulations for recruitment agencies, set minimum age requirements for migration, educate migrant workers before departure on the risk of migration and avenues for receiving help and cooperate with destination countries to ensure that workers are protected from exploitation once they arrive there. However, as we were saying that this uh, phenomenon of human trafficking takes place not in a single country, but rather throughout the journey, then responses shouldn't come only from uh, countries of uh, origin. They should also come from countries of transit and countries of destination. When it comes to countries of uh, transit in the Horn of Africa, mostly Djibouti and the Arabian Peninsula, Yemen, what should governments be doing? One, they should strengthen commitments to fight human trafficking. In Yemen and Somalia, for instance, the absence of a law criminalizing all forms of trafficking and the conflation of human trafficking with migrant smuggling continue to hinder the government's efforts to investigate instances of trafficking and prosecute trafficking offenders. The countries should also comply with responsibilities towards migrants under international human rights law, IHRL. According to international human rights law, all migrants, regardless of their status, are entitled to the same international human rights as everyone else. So states, in this case uh, Djibouti and Yemen, have an obligation towards migrants to respect their human rights, to protect their human rights and to fulfill their human rights, so take positive measures to ensure that those rights are defended. 
Also, they should uh, fight corruption among police officers and government officials who are often complicit with migrant smugglers and human traffickers and accept to ignore cases of human trafficking in exchange for a payment. In Djibouti, Somalia and Yemen, corruption and official complicity in trafficking crimes, as we were saying before, remain significant concerns that inhibit this government's law enforcement action. Finally, um, Djibouti and Yemen could and should improve border controls with particular emphasis on migrant protection. And they should ensure that border guards and police are adequately trained to proactively identify potential victims of trafficking. This is an especially acute need along Yemen's coast, where human traffickers typically wait for migrants to disembark and bring them under their force control upon payment to and coordination with migrant smugglers, as we were discussing before. But also countries uh, on destination should be acting and should be taking specific measures to address this phenomenon and correct it. So if we look at Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia should strengthen its commitments to fight human trafficking. Saudi Arabia, for instance, has demonstrated increasing efforts to combat human trafficking, but the government does not consistently screen vulnerable populations for trafficking indicators, doesn't sufficiently prosecute trafficking crimes, and doesn't seek adequate penalties for convicted traffickers. So the kingdom should invest more efforts in persecuting, protecting, and preventing human trafficking within its borders. Also, and as noted before in the case of Djibouti and Yemen, should comply with responsibilities towards migrants under international human rights law. Should also recognize that migrant workers are necessary to sustain economic growth because they are ready to fill in some of those jobs that the domestic population is unwilling to perform. Therefore, Saudi Arabia should introduce more regular options for migration in order to decrease migrants' dependency on smugglers and, as a consequence, their risk on becoming victims of trafficking. In this regard, bilateral agreements between countries of origin, for instance, Ethiopia, and countries of destination, in this case, Saudi Arabia, could be an effective first step in the right direction. And finally, there is also something that the international community can do. It could offer support to countries in the Horn of Africa when it comes to climate action, economic development, and conflict resolution. Specifically, the international community could support national governments to set realistic and achievable targets, as well as mobilize and manage the human and financial resources that are needed to achieve those targets. The international community could also give greater consideration to the eastern route that goes from the Horn to the Gulf monarchies, which has largely been neglected among other global crises. While Eurocentric uh, narratives in the media are certainly one of the reasons why less attention is given to the eastern route vis-à-vis -vis the northern route that goes from Africa to the European Union, the continuation of this pattern is unjustifiable and unsustainable and certainly something that we should be working towards changing. Thirdly, the international community should exert greater pressures on the Gulf monarchies with respect to the protection of human rights in their territories. In fact, as wealthy Gulf countries such as Saudi Arabia, the Arab Emirates, Qatar are investing great efforts and resources to improve their international image and enhance their position in the international system, the protection of human rights should be placed as a condition for relations with those governments. Finally, the international community uh, should work to inform migrants about the risks of irregular migration across the Gulf of Aden and raise awareness 
on regular migration channels when those are available. So together with national governments in the countries of origin, uh, the international community could launch awareness-raising initiatives and campaigns on migration from the Horn to the Arabian Peninsula. Cooperating here with influential local leaders, including youth representatives, women groups, teachers, religious leaders, can be very useful to disseminate messages that resonate with local communities. Marta, the, thank you for that summary of what can be done, both local fully regionally and internationally. With things being this serious in terms of migration and human trafficking and, and the challenges that people are facing to find a better life in that region, what are Free the Slaves' plans for continued research in this space? Yes, thank you, Brian, for this question. So uh, as uh, I was pointing out before, one of the drivers of um, migration from the Horn of Africa to the Gulf Monarchies is climate change. So one of the topics that, that free the slaves we are interested in exploring further is this connection between climate change and climate change related extreme weather events, which in the Horn of Africa takes the form of droughts, but also floodings, displacement, migration, and ultimately human trafficking. So this is certainly a topic that we are keen on exploring more to better understand these dynamics and the better think of solutions of uh, evidence-based recommendations that can be put forward to address this phenomenon. And uh, this is especially interesting if we consider that uh, Ethiopia, that uh, in the past uh, eight months was the uh, country of origin of 98% of the East African migrants that made their way towards Yemen and ultimately towards the Gulf monarchies, is part of Alliance 8.7 as a pathfinder country, meaning that it is a country that is interested and committed in doing more, doing better, doing faster to address human trafficking. So I believe that there is a room for a cooperation and for thinking of solutions that can be truly implemented on the ground. Excellent. Well, we'll look forward to hearing about that more in the future. Uh, Marta, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about your research on this important issue today. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to share as we close? No, I think I'm very happy with having had this conversation with you, Brian, and uh, thank you for hosting your conversation on modern slavery. And I think, as always, I would like to conclude by inviting organizations, researchers that are working on these same topics to reach out if they're interested in some research cooperation. We are always very happy to explore opportunities for working together. Excellent. For those of you who are listening and would like to read the report, you can find a link to download the report from Free the Slaves' website in the description of this podcast. As we wrap up this episode, I would also like to remind you that this podcast can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe on your preferred channel to be notified when new episodes are released. Mm -hmm.